0: Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. We're going to continue today in our in our preaching series that we've titled The Trillis. And uh, the idea behind this series is that we want to put structures in our life, intentional structures that the Holy Spirit can use to shape and form us in the image of Jesus. And these structures look like what has traditionally been called spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines, if you like that word. Um, But basically things that we can put into our lives, rhythms and practices that can help shape us uh, to become more like Jesus. And today we're looking at the topic of word and spirit. Won't you stand with me? We're going to open the Bible in Psalm chapter 1, and uh, we're just going to stand in reverence for God's word. If you've got your Bibles, you can open up to Psalm chapter 1. I'm going to read from the CSB translation, it'll be up on the screen. We're going to go down to verse 3. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers? Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. Some of you might recognize the name Karl Barth. Uh, Karl Barth is a Swiss-German theologian, and he was probably the leading theologian of the 20th century. In 1962, he was doing a lecture tour around the United States, and he came to the University of Chicago. And uh, at the end of one of his lecture uh, kind of sessions, he had a a Q&A time, and uh, someone from the audience gets up and walks up to the microphone and says to Mr. or Dr. Bart, uh, can you sum up your theology in one sentence? Now, bear in mind that Bart has written uh, over 20 volumes of uh, deep, uh, consi- like d- really deep, robust theological works, like huge uh, volumes of theology. Can you sum that up in one sentence? And Colbart uh, just simply pauses and says, yes, yes I can. In the words I learned on, at, at, uh, in a song on my mother's knee, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Not just, you know, because my mother tells me so, or because the church tells me so, or a pastor tells me so, or my heart and my emotions tell, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Turn to our Bibles and page one of the Bible, we open in Genesis chapter one, and what do we read? We read, God said, let there be light, and there was light. On page one of the Bible, we discover that there is a God and this God is not silent. Not only does the Bible begin by claiming that there is a God and that he speaks, the Bible goes on to explain to us that there is a God who continues to speak even today. And he speaks primarily through his word, through the Bible. But let's consider the bible for a moment the bible remains history's number one contender as the revealer of life's true meaning whether we resonate with its worldview or its beliefs whether we say that the bible is the word of god or the bible is true whether we say that or not we cannot dispute philosophers and uh, historians alike have all come into agreement on this one fact that the Bible itself has changed the world more than any other book, human, or event in human history. With hundreds of millions of Bibles printed each year and six, mil- six billion Bibles currently in print, it is the best-selling piece of literature by far. Year after year after year tops the charts. It's given its long-running influence and, uh, the, and and history, the Bible's words and underpinning concepts have shaped contemporary culture more than anything else. From birth names to marriage vows, funeral rites and law contracts, classical art themes and musical inspirations, social justice declarations and history altering constitutions, architecture and archaeological finds, best ever written literature and top of the pops lyrics just to name a few. The Bible has influenced everything. Time Magazine once stated that the most significant future-shaping moment in the second millennium was the printing of the Bible at the Gutenberg Press, which in this moment put the Bible, or the so-called good book, in the hands and language of the common people. With the Bible came the ideas for the very first time that every single Human being is of equal value and an image bearer of God worthy of fair treatment. With the Bible came the idea that morality is essentially about considering the well-being of the other, especially the downtrodden. And it's not surprising that many of, great, of the great social reformers throughout the ages, from Gandhi to Martin Luther King Jr., Nelson Mandela, Bishop Tutu, and the first suffragettes, all built their case around the scriptures and the teachings of Jesus. So whether one holds to the Bible as being truth, or whether one believes in its teachings, there is no de- denying the Bible's unraveled impact on the world. But let's stop for a moment as we consider the Word and the Spirit, and ask ourselves right off the bat, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? Well, the Bible is um, is not one book. The Bible itself is actually a library of books consisting, this this work is a, a library of 66 books telling one unified story of just how much God loves us and how much God wants to be with us. As we, as we look at the Bible, we see passage by passage, over and over again, God's redemptive purpose of grace that culminates and is found in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so when we read the Bible, we should be looking for evidence of this one great story across all of its books, the story and the person of Jesus. Let's divide the Bible up into three sections, Old Testaments, the Gospels, and the New Testaments. The Old Testament prepares the way for Jesus, this prophetic anticipation of his arrival, announcing that God will come and redeem and save humanity. We then get to the gospels, the four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which describe the life, the ministry, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, basically a biography of Jesus's life. And then the rest of the New Testament reveals how the story or the message of Jesus begins to spread across the world. Sally Lloyd-Jones, who's a New York Times best-selling author, and she wrote what, uh, if you're a parent, you would have come across this, or a school teacher, or a child. Um, she wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. Some of you would have seen that or heard of it. And uh, this Bible, I believe, was obviously written for children, but I'm pretty sure she had adults in mind, too, because I love reading this to my kids, and I just, I, I get um, awakened again to the fact that Jesus is in every piece of Scripture, and so as we consider the Bible being a library of books telling us one unified story of how much God loves us in and through the work of Jesus Christ and saves us by his son, I want to just read Sally Lloyd-Jones' introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible. And let me just say, and I don't say this uh, kind of, as, like I, I say this complete conviction. If you want to learn and understand the full narrative of the Bible in an easy and digestible way, get yourself the Jesus Storybook Bible, uh, read through it. It, it. You might feel, oh, but that's a children's Bible. I'm telling you, it'll help you with the grand narrative. It's got pictures. So like if you enjoy the Instagram and stuff, it's like, a, like the Bible Instagram. Okay, so go for that. <laughs> but the introduction that Sally Lloyd-Jones gives us to her Bible is, is profound. She says this, God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words too and wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have rules in it. They show you how, to, how, how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but you'll soon find out, Most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they are downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is, most of all, a story. It's an adventure story of a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story of a brave prince who leaves his palace his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and came to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story. And at the center of the story is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is the, like the missing piece in a puzzle, a, a piece that makes all the other pieces fit together and suddenly you see a beautiful picture. I love that description of the Bible. Friends, I've been in church long enough to see two groups of people who come to faith and both groups of people start out the same. People start out with great passion, great zeal, and great determination to walk out and pursue Jesus for all of their lives. And you get two groups. The first group starts off as disciples with great passion and zeal. But over decades, over years, however long, a certain period of time, that same passion and zeal seems to kind of diminish. And uh, towards the end of their life, or a decade or two later, what we, what we observe is that uh, these people Christians end up living a compromised, flat, or boring Christianity. You get a second group of people who begin with the very same passion and zeal, but what you observe over time is their passion and zeal doesn't diminish. In fact, it actually grows and matures, and they become more like Jesus as the years and decades pass. Now, there are a number of factors to that and, and, and we could add to them, but the, one of the clear differences between the two groups of people is simply this. The group that grows and matures and their passion and zeal grows, they are the group that pursues Jesus by reading the Bible. It's as simple as that. The one group reads the Bible and the other doesn't. It really comes down to that. And we can simply, but we can't simply read the Bible alone. We need to be changed, we need to be shaped and formed by the Bible. We need to encounter the Bible. You see, we can't come to the Bible just as an academic work to learn a bunch of stuff. We actually need to be shaped and formed by the scriptures and we need to encounter Jesus himself in the word. The Bible itself tells us in John chapter one that the word became flesh and dwelt, dwelt, dwelt amongst us, meaning that Jesus Christ himself is the word of God and the word of God became flesh when Jesus Christ was born. We observed his glory, the glory of the one and only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So the word of God itself is Jesus Christ revealed to us in and through these written words on a page. And we encounter Jesus when we come to the Bible and, we are, and Christ himself is illuminated to us, revealed to us by the power of his Holy Spirit. We, we read, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse five, because our gospel or the message of Jesus, Jesus Christ himself did not come to you in word only, but also in power in the Holy Spirit. And so we need both word and spirit. There's one sentence that has shaped my life more than any other phrase or idea that I've come across. A pastor in New York City, his name's John Tyson, he once said this phrase, he said, we need, as disciples of Jesus, we need theology that cannot be dismissed and power that cannot be denied. Theology that cannot be dismissed, robust, deep understanding of God's written word that we cannot dismiss it because it's simply there in black and white. But along with that, in the same sentence, we need power that cannot be denied, life transformation that we see at a very tangible level that, that no one can deny because it's, it's on display and it's evident. Theology that cannot be dismissed, power that cannot be denied, word and spirit, shaped and formed by the person and work of Christ. R.T. Kendall, he wrote once, I cannot think of anything that would honor God more or threaten Satan more than the word and the spirit coming together simultaneously as was demonstrated in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is the account of the early church where they were equipped with the word of God, but they had this divine impartation of the Holy Spirit that poured out upon them and everything Changed the, 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 the course of human history changed. As long as these two remain separate, word and spirit, to any degree, it becomes easier for the devil to keep the church from making a significant impact on the world. So we need both, theology that cannot be dismissed, the word, power that cannot be denied, the spirits. Because theology roots the spirits, but the spirit gives life to dead orthodox theology. So the question I wanna address today is how do we approach as a practice, as a spiritual discipline, how do we approach reading the Bible in such a way that we can actually encounter Jesus? How do we read the Bible and when we do so, encounter Jesus? See, Bible reading has become too much about knowledge accumulation, like head knowledge. Many Bibles today look more like encyclopedias and textbooks than they do a great grand story of love. And as a result, we approach our Bibles and our scripture reading in this way. The Bible can be intimidating, and I believe that the Bible is intimidating because we approach it wrongly. Or the Bible can be boring, or the Bible can be hard to understand, and I believe it's because we approach the scriptures wrongly. Now I do believe, and I've said it already, that we need to study the Bible. I believe that we need to grow in deep, robust theology, like deep academic knowledge of the Bible, not just pastors or church leaders, all of us. We need to have a deep understanding of Scripture. But if the reason we come to our Bible reading times is only to grow in knowledge about God, then I think we're missing the boat, and we need to rewire our thinking about the Bible see, the Bible and Bible reading is not just for head knowledge. Bible reading is not just to be more disciplined so that God loves me. Like spend 10 minutes or 30 minutes or however long reading the Bible, uh, a portion of scripture that I don't understand, and then, then maybe God will love me. Like, you know, tick, tick that box. I did my quiet, my quiet time and like did the thing. But in Luke chapter 24, there's this account where there are two disciples and they're on a journey. And they're walking on a road, and they're having a discussion, and next thing, Jesus Christ himself joins them on the walk. And as the two disciples are walking, Jesus interrupts their conversation, and the account tells us that Jesus gives them what is probably the best, greatest Bible study of all time. Jesus unpacks the scriptures for them. And he starts teaching them about all the Old Testament prophets and prophecies about himself, and Jesus teaches them the Bible. And later on in that evening, the two disciples are sitting there. Jesus is now not with them anymore at that moment. And and he arrives back on the scene and they're recounting the events of when Jesus was with them, teaching them the scriptures. And they've said this one line. And it's this one line that I believe needs to be evident in each one of our lives when it comes to reading the Bible. They start recounting the events and they say this one sentence. Did our hearts not burn when Jesus opened the scriptures to us? Did our hearts not burn when Jesus opened the Bible to us? I believe it's our inheritance, friends, to have a heart that burns when we come and read the Bible. I believe that it, that reading the Bible and, and, and engaging with the scriptures, if we invite the Holy Spirit in both theology and power, that it can cause in us a burning heart of passion and desire to experience God's love and have an encounter with Jesus, did our hearts not burn? My prayer is that us at Light Church would have hearts that burn when we spend time with Jesus in the Bible. Now that sounds good, but here's the thing. If we can learn and grow in how we come to the Scriptures, we can have a burning heart every time we come to the Scriptures. Second point, theology informs and guides our practice. What you believe about God will inform how you live out your life. Alistair McGrath, he says that anyone interested in doing the right thing, it is necessary to have a set of values concerning human life. Those values are determined by beliefs and those beliefs are stated as doctrines. Christian doctrine thus provides a fundamental framework for Christian living. So we need to... Let our practice, our lives be shaped and formed by theology and our theology needs to be guided by truth. Third point, theology is a command. The greatest command that Jesus gives us, he says we can sum up everything by this one command, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. He's saying, hey, learn, grow, understand, not hey, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, or if you're a different kind of personality, then with all of your soul. But maybe if you're more academic, then you get to love him with all of your mind. No, it's love the Lord your God with all three. R.C. Sproul said, once that the word of God can be in the mind without being in the heart. I mean, you can have dead theology, but it cannot be in the heart first without being in the mind. So there, but there's a problem, right? There's, the problem is this. The problem is that a lot of Christians don't often or don't regularly or never read the Bible. Most Christians are living their lives according to a book that they either don't or have never read. But why don't we read our Bibles? Well, many people have wrong ideas about the Scriptures. We think that they're boring or uh, you know, they're just full of rules and so we need to like obey them or, or the Bible's really hard to read, which it is. We can find the Bible intimidating Oftentimes, there are circumstances to this. You either get it like a, a really difficult, hard-to-understand translation. Um, I would try to find a, a Bible translation that is easier for you to understand. Um, we either have really ugly Bibles. That's a thing. Like, your Bible's just difficult to read. The texts are so small. They're ugly. They're uncomfortable to hold. I mean, you've, you might, like, oh, while we're talking, like, get yourself a beautiful Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, we have got a bunch at the back we'd love to give you. They're great. Just grab one of them. But there's also this age old excuse of time. But we also know that, you know, I don't have enough time to read the Bible, but what we treasure most in this life is what we give the most of our attention and our time to. So why is not reading our Bible the problem? Well, the Bible is the very Word of God. It's the primary way that God communicates with us. And we all want to hear from the Lord. If I asked you, do you want God to guide you and speak to you in this circumstance in your life? The answer would be yes. The the way God has chosen to speak to us primarily is through His written Word. Yes, God speaks to us in worship and prophecy and other ways of teaching and through creation and, and through other dreams and these things. We believe in all of that. But the primary way that God communicates to us is through the written Word. And oftentimes you would say, like if I asked you, would anybody here like to hear the audible voice of God, then you would say, yes, I'd love to hear the audible, that would be amazing, I want just take your Bible, read it aloud, and then you'll hear God's voice. The Bible is God's primary way of communicating with us. God communicates in multiple ways, but in in 2 Timothy chapter three, all of scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. We, We call this the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture, meaning that the Bible has given us everything we need to learn and grow in this life. The word of God is perfect and complete, giving us all we need to know about Jesus Christ himself to guide us into the path of salvation and to pursue godliness in this life. You can have an encounter with God in worship. You can have an encounter with God in prophecy, but the scriptures itself, the very revelation of God himself, In the Bible, we also find the answers to life's big, big questions like, who am I? Whose am I? What is my purpose? Does anyone love me? Does anybody actually want me? All of these answers and more are found in the pages of Scripture. The Bible also cultivates in us a God-centered worldview. It's so important for us to live as disciples of Jesus with a God-centered worldview because when we do, what we do is we start playing our part in mission in actively pursuing God's redemptive plan and story, and then we stop living our lives for ourselves and our own comforts and our own happiness, and we pursue God's desires for us. And then most importantly, we find Jesus in the Bible. You see, when we, when we find Jesus, we find all of life. We find purpose, we find meaning. And then friends, there's no shortcut to the good life. There's no shortcut to like a life with Jesus. It's just we find Jesus when we enter into His presence by the power of the Holy Spirit coming to the Scriptures. Yes, we can find Jesus in other ways and other places through worship and other encounters, but God has chosen to give us a full and complete picture of Himself in the written word. Again. You know, we call this personal revelation when God speaks to you personally. But there's a primary way that God has made himself known and it's through the word of God, the Bible. We've said the Bible is a, message, the whole Bible is a unified message about God's redemptive plan to save humanity in and through the work and person of Jesus. And so you might be saying, okay, Brian, I've read um, the New Testaments, they're great, the gospel's about the life of Jesus, the New Testament's pretty encouraging. What about the Old Testament? Like how is that pointing to Jesus? Let me give you a few examples of why it's important to read all of scripture. And, and, And how all of scripture points to Jesus. The call of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. So we're in like book one of the Bible right now. And Abraham, you know, know, some of you may know the story. Abraham is a story about how God chooses one man and through this one man, he's gonna bless the whole world. Hey, you sang that song, Father Abraham had many sons. You know that one, some of you do. Okay, I'm not gonna sing it. But basically this, Abraham becomes this focal point through whom God's gonna bless the whole world. Okay, what's the connection to Jesus? Well, Jesus' message is for every nation. Through one man, God chooses through Jesus. He chooses to bless the whole world. Abraham is a, a picture of what's to come in Jesus. He has another example. When God asked Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, uh, he was showing Abraham and us how the Messiah would come and die and rise from the dead. Look at the two examples. Abraham takes his son Isaac, they go up a mountain. They get to the top of the mountain and Abraham, a father, is gonna sacrifice his son in obedience. And in that moment of he's about to sacrifice Isaac, what happens? On the top of a mountain, a lamb appears and this lamb is given as a sacrifice in, as a substitute for his son Isaac. So Isaac gets to live and the lamb dies and the lamb itself is presented on an altar wrapped up in thorns. Fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus Christ carries a cross, goes up a mountain, substitutes himself with the will of the Father for you and I, so that we don't have to die. And on the cross, Jesus wears what? A crown of thorns. Do you see how the Old Testament's always pointing towards Jesus? When Daniel, innocent Daniel, gets thrown into the lion's den. Some of you know this story. He gets thrown into the lion's den. What happens? The next day he comes out of the lion's den unharmed. Fast forward to Jesus, this is a picture of Jesus going into a tomb, into the lion's den, and the next three days later comes out of the tomb unharmed. All pictures in the scripture, all stories in the Bible are pointing towards Jesus Christ himself. And so this is the advice that I would give. This changed the way I read the Bible and changed my life as a result. When you read the scriptures, ask yourself the question, how is this pointing to Jesus? Because that the answer to that question will change everything for you. Find Jesus in the scriptures. So much of what we miss in the Bible and why it becomes so difficult to understand is because we look for characters and themes and lessons other than Jesus. Oftentimes we tell make the Bible about us and our circumstances and we say, well, how does this apply to me today? Oftentimes it doesn't. It's applying to Jesus and his finished work and he's just showing you how much he loves you. He is both the primary character and the primary plot line of the entire Bible. The whole Bible fits together to point to him, to glorify him, to depict him, and to reveal who Jesus is. And so when we read the whole story and we see Jesus throughout the pages, we see him afresh, we get invigorated by who he is, we get amazed by his works and the fact that God would pursue us in this way and 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 whatever preconceived ideas we have about him get washed away. And then we actually see Jesus for who he is and we start to understand just how much he loves me. And then when I realize how much He loves me. I start to fall more in love with Him. And then I realize, hey, I belong to Him because He's won me over with a price. And, and I desire a deeper relationship with Him. And then all of it becomes about Him. And then my life, in my life, I start to have Christ illuminated to me by the power of the Holy Spirit as I engage with word and spirit, theology and power. And I start to see Him. And then when I see Him, what happens? My heart starts to burn This is our inheritance, to have a burning heart. His word has power and his word has authority. And he's given us his word. And as we saturate ourselves in his word, we too can move in power and authority. God creates by his word. Over and over again in the scriptures, we see that he makes something out of nothing. And he brings order out of chaos. Simply by His word, page one of the Bible, Genesis, the Spirit of God hovers over the the chaotic waters and by the voice of the Lord, as God speaks, order comes out of chaos. Order comes out of chaos and as that happens, God creates and the world comes into existence. Friends, if our lives feel like they are lacking or that they feel chaotic at times, come to the scriptures, God's word has the ability and the power to shape us, change us, and make something out of nothing and bring order where there is chaos. Now one of the major problems and one of the problems that we all uh, kind of think of when we consider the, the state of biblical literacy in the modern day we, we think that one of the core problems, particularly in our nation here in America, is the lack of biblical literacy. And I would agree with that. I believe that there has been a massive decline in biblical literacy. We just have to look at what's being taught in schools, the fact that the Bible was present in in more a kind of um, a public forums than it is today. And there's a rapid decline in just not even... Uh, subscribing to the beliefs of the Bible, but just even knowing the stories of the Bible. So biblical literacy is on a decline. And so we think, okay, what we need to do is we need like everyone to know the Bible. And we do, and I believe that. But one theologian points out that at the time of the nation's greatest or highest level of biblical literacy also coincided with the exact same period in this nation's history when uh, slavery was at its highest. So we need something more than just academic knowledge of the Bible. We need the Bible, but we need the spirit of God to change our hearts and change how we live as a result of the theology that we believe and subscribe to. We need theology that cannot be dismissed, power that cannot be denied, so that we are changed and formed into the image of Jesus so that our practice changes. We need both. And this problem has been a problem in many churches for decades. R.T. Kendall, he talks about like word people and spirit people or word churches and spirit churches. There's often this divide, like I'm a word person or I'm a spirit person and, and, you know, there's many churches or people that are really well acquainted with the scriptures. They know their Bibles. They know their doctrine and they know church history, the word people. And then you get the people on the other end of the scale. Hey, we're spirit people. Like we're charismatic. We, we, um, we, we know the raw power of God. We've experienced healing. Like we pray with like determination and faith and power and God moves when we do things, like when we pray and he responds to us and we've experienced the gifts of the Spirit and, and we have an infilling of the Holy Spirit in our lives and there's miracles and healings and both are brilliant. Both are exactly right. Artie Kendall says the church generally will struggle on and on in its plea for God to restore honor to his name until not one or the other but both the scriptures and the power of God, the Word and the Spirit coalesce simultaneously. We desperately need the Spirit of God to reveal and illuminate the Word of God in our hearts so that we can have an encounter with Jesus so that we can burn. Let's turn to Psalm chapter one, our teaching text. The Psalm describes a man who leads an untarnished and prosperous life in accordance with God's word. The heading in my Bible of this psalm is two ways, the two ways. There are two ways given to us in this psalm. By the way, the psalms are the worship book of the Bible. It's basically song lyrics given to us. And the worship book of the Bible starts off by presenting two ways, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked. Let's just go through it briefly. The way of the, uh, sorry, how happy, or this can be translated how blessed or how joyful or how satisfied not by material or circumstantial events, but how blessed and happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. Three verbs given to us. What's the Psalmist saying? He's saying, hey, walk, stand, sit. How we live all of our lives, our formation, our discipleship, our day-to-day stuff of life. How happy is the one who does all of life not in the way of the world. Instead, his delight or his joy or his peace is in the Lord's instruction. He's saying, hey, blessing, peace, joy, deep-rooted security belongs to the one who lives the way of Jesus and understands his word. And goes on, and he meditates or he fills his mind with the Bible, study, Robust theology. Here we see that meditating on the word of God is presented by virtue of its inclusion as Psalm one, line one of the worship book of the Bible as the foundational act upon which all other expressions of worship are based. We come to the word of God. And he says he meditates on it day and night. He's saying, hey, develop in your life a rhythm and rhythm a a, 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 um, a daily habit of practicing spiritual formation and discipleship by opening up the word of God. Brian, wish there was such a practical, like is there a practical way that you can help us, a tool you can put in our hands? I'm so glad you asked. We've got these Lectios that are at the back there. This is a daily Bible reading plan that can guide you, guided reading where we pause and we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us and open up the teachings of Jesus to us. They're at the back table there, grab one of these. Uh, I think they're 12 bucks. If you don't have 12 bucks, or it just it's our gift to you, just grab one and, and start implementing in your life a daily rhythm and practice of reading God's word. The psalm goes on to tell us what is the fruit of engaging in God's word on a daily basis. He said, He is like a tree beside flowing streams that bears its fruits in season and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. R.T. Kendall goes on to say, there is no knowledge under the sun that is equal to a vast knowledge of Holy Scripture. Whether you are a minister or a cab driver or a children's pastor or a servant in a restaurant, a worship leader or an accountant, I could go on and on. Get to know your Bible better than any other book. The reward is incalculable. Being on good terms with the Holy Spirit is greater than being connected to celebrities, royalty or the president. Never forget what the greatest evangelist or uh, great evangelist uh, Dwight Moody, Dale Moody said, "The Bible was not given to increase our knowledge, but to change lives." I'm going to skip ahead, Sean. If we can just, um, if we can go to those images, and I'm going to invite Drew to come up. We've got to come to the scriptures. Asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Jesus to us. But how do we actually do that? How do we actually get to the place of having a divine encounter with Jesus in the written word of God? Well, I believe that posture and position is everything. There's this well known artist, his name is Michael Murphy. This is some of his art on the screen. He's, he's what is called an uh, illusion illusion artist or illusionary artist. He does works of art, sculptures, uh, uh, installations of art, simply like this one. And in order to appreciate and enjoy his art, uh, you have to be standing in the correct position to actually see it. So this is an example here of this lady's face, uh, a portrait of this lady. Um, if you stand on the one side of the piece of art, you can see it's just like hanging pieces of, um, of matter. You kind of don't really know what the piece of art is and then you kind of make yourself, you, you move around the room and when you get into the right position, you actually see the piece of art for what it really is. Uh, let's go to the next slide. Uh, there's a slide here of these bunch of balls just like floating in the air. And and you think to yourself, okay, what is this? I could make that art. But then as you move around the room and go to the next slide, what we see is this becomes this. Position and posture is everything. There's, there's a story where Michael Murphy does this art installation. Well, it's actually a, sculpt, uh, a sculpture. And uh, people know he's an illusionary artist and so he puts this sculpture in the middle of a room and he invites people to come and view his, this piece of art. And uh, people come into the room, and they start making their way, and they're trying to discern, like, what is this lump of clay? Like, what we can't make out for what it is. And try as they might, people are walking around the room, looking at this piece of art from all different angles, and uh, they just can't work it out. They're like, is this a trick? Has he just put a lump of clay in front of us? Like, we can't see what this actually is. Anyway, the evening goes on, and the story goes that Michael Murphy, he interrupts everyone, and he says, okay, guys, um, would you like to see this work? And he just simply says to them, the only way you can view this piece of art is if you get down on your knees. So he gets down on his knees and he looks up and and then the, the sculptor just comes to laugh. And he basically says, hey, if you're not on your knees before this piece of art, you won't see it for what it truly is. And I believe that's a perfect way for us to consider the scriptures. The only way that we're going to be have a divine encounter with Jesus in the Bible and get to a place where our heart burns is if we posture ourselves in the right position before God's word. We posture ourselves before the scriptures in a place of submission by welcoming the Holy Spirit into our hearts and saying, teach me. Hey, I don't have it all figured out. I'm not gonna come and try to learn a bunch of academic knowledge from this thing, I just wanna see Jesus, and so I'm gonna submit myself to you, reveal Jesus to me. In the same way that Michael Murphy's sculpture can only be viewed on your knees, I would say that the way that we should be approaching our Bible reading time is on our knees, submitted to Jesus, asking the Holy Spirit to reveal Christ to us. Because then, and only then, you know, we try as we might, we can approach it from many different angles and many different techniques, you can get the lecture, you can get this Bible reading plan and this thing, all of which are so important. I don't believe anybody can grow in a haphazard or casual manner. You need to have a plan. But posture is everything. And so we come on our knees before the written Word of God, recognizing that this is truth that Jesus Christ Himself has given to us in His fullness in the Word. And we allow the Bible that is alive and active to shape and form and change my hearts. And then I see Him. And then when I see Him, I'm changed. I start to become more like Him. My desires and affection for Him grow and I'm able to receive more of His love and grace and mercy in my life. And I'm changed by the Word and the power of the Holy Spirit as I'm on my knees. Experience the Scripture as joy, friends. In Ezekiel chapter three, verse one, he said, son of man, eat what you find here. Take the scroll, take the word, and then go and speak to the house of Israel. So he says, I opened my mouth and and he fed me the scroll. He he himself, God gives the word. Son of man, he said to me, feed your stomach and fill your belly with the scroll that I'm giving you. So I ate it and it was as sweet as honey in my mouth. Coming to the word of God should not be a, a, a difficult or burdensome task. It is as sweet as honey in my mouth as I posture myself in the right position and allow him to feed me the word. I fill my belly and I'm satisfied. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.